Well, good morning, everybody. Thank everybody who came out to the fall festival yesterday and everybody who uh, pr uh, helped put that together, Tanya and her team of chapelites. It was, a, it was a fun time and there was a lot of good chili here yesterday. Uh, so sorry if you missed it, but uh, we were really happy to see people out yesterday uh, for that. Um, just want to uh, mention one more time, right after church service this morning, about five, ten minutes after church service, we're going to be meeting in this room right next to the sanctuary, this, uh, this meeting room. Uh, for anybody who is interested in learning more about membership in Morning Hour Chapel, um, again, uh, we accept members as long as they are 16 years or older who have come to a decision of faith with Jesus Christ. And uh, we will be welcoming new members uh, in during our Thanksgiving service on November 19th. Um, if you are coming from a, another church where you hold membership and you would like to transfer your membership, let me know, send me an email, and we can get that process going as well. Um, still would ask you to look over Morning Hour Chapel's membership uh, uh, handbook that, that we have, uh, just to make sure that you are uh, in agreement with the things that are there. Have you ever heard of uh, people who are labeled as those who live on the other side of the tracks? This is not something that, that is kind of normal now. It's not a saying that we usually use, but... Um, we use that term, living on the other side of the tracks, to denote people maybe who are living in poverty, or who are living in a place that is filled with crime, maybe an unsavory part of town. Um, and we definitely differentiate ourselves from the people who live on the other side of the tracks. And there was this woman who lived on the other side of the tracks, and she wanted to uh, attend a church on the good side of the tracks. It was a very popular church, very big. They were growing. They had the building, and they had just hundreds and hundreds of people coming every Sunday. She very much wanted to become a member of that church, and so she went and she talked to the pastor. And the pastor, of course, made the... Uh, appointment through his secretary. And when the woman came in, he noticed immediately that she looked like one of those people who lived on the other side of the tracks. And he suggested that she go home and think about, do you really want to be a member of this church? And she went home. She spent the week thinking about it. At the end of the week, she came back. She said, yes, I want to become a member of the church. And he said, well, let's hold on. Just, you know, we're, we're, we like to take these things slowly around here. I want you to go home and read your Bible for an hour every single day. And then come back and tell me if you feel like you still want to join this church. And the woman was not really necessarily happy about being put off, but she figured, okay, this must be the process for everybody. So she went home, she read her Bible for an hour every day. She came back in a week and she assured the pastor, I've, I've, I've read my Bible for an hour uh, this week every day um, and I've thought about it and I really want to become a, a member of your church here. And the pastor said, I want you to do one more thing for me. I want you to go home and pray 
every day this week and ask the Lord if he wants you to be a member of this church. And of course, the pastor at this point, we can kind of tell from the story, does not want this woman to become a member of his prestigious church. And the woman left. And she never came back. And about six months later, the pastor was out and about doing some shopping, saw the woman on the street one day and asked her what had happened. And she said, I did exactly what you asked me to. I went home and I prayed every day. And one day while I was praying, the Lord said this to me. He said, don't worry about not being a member of that church. Don't worry about not getting into that church because I've been trying to get into that church for 25 years. <laughs> this morning we are continuing... <laughs> okay. This morning we are... <laughs> Continuing our sermon series on what to expect when you're Christianing. And we've been walking through the book of James. We finished the, book, uh, the first chapter of the book of James last time I was here. And by the way, before I go on, I just want to thank the youth, uh, most of whom aren't here this morning, um, for the service last week. I, I heard it was, it was beautiful. We heard it on, uh, on, on our way down to Baltimore. Um, and the message was really great, and I, and I understand that everybody would like me to speak with the uh, length that Eric <laughs> spoke with. So I've got about two more minutes. Um, I might take a little bit longer. But we're walking through the book of James, and we've talked about this book of James, how it is the most concise of all of the New Testament books in telling us how to live the Christian life. And in James chapter 1, he told these, these Christians who had been dispersed into strange uh, lands, strange customs, that they could experience trials, that they could experience temptation, that they could experience these people trying to get them to turn their backs on God and turn their backs on Jesus Christ in favor of the culture, in favor of belonging, in favor of fitting in. And he told, the, he told these friends of his that he needed to just tell them that they needed to take care to trust God, even as they're living in this culture. And he exhorted them to hear the gospel with meekness and humility, to listen to and to remember the words of Jesus Christ and all of the things that he taught us and the way that he taught us to live. And James ended the first part of this letter by introducing his theme, the overall theme of this letter. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says, do not get involved in these cultural things that are sin. Do not get involved in these cultural things that are going to tempt you to turn your back on God just to make your life easy. Just to make it so you don't face trials. This is what James is sharing with Christians, with the church. And we're moving on in James chapter 2 this morning, and James continues to talk about the church, but this time he's talking about a specific sin within the church. And we read in James chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
Show no partiality. James, what do you mean by that? Well, James is glad you asked because he writes now, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And James here is talking about favoritism. And in this case, he's talking about how we treat the rich versus the poor. And before we think that maybe this kind of thing really doesn't happen much anymore, let me tell you a little story. The story is about a, a, a couple who experienced this favoritism way back in 1846 when they shepherded a group of shabbily dressed men and women into the Broad Street Methodist Church in Derbyshire, England. The church had a special place for the poor. If they wanted to attend, they needed to come through a side door. They couldn't come through the main doors of the church. They had to come in from the side. Then they were supposed to sit on these uncomfortable benches. All of the, the benches, all of the pews had backs and cushions for all of the proper people to sit in. If you were poor, you came in through the side and you just sat on a flat bench. No cushion, no back, you just sat there. And they sat in an area that was screened off from the pulpit so that they couldn't even see the pastor, the minister, as he was delivering the message. They couldn't see the choir. They couldn't see the organist. And more importantly, the important people couldn't see them. This couple brings this group of shabbily dressed men and women into the church, and they come in through the main door. And they try to sit in the good places. And of course, they are vehemently chastised by the minister, by the deacons, by the good people of the church. And this incident, along with a few others, caused this couple not only to have to leave the church, they were officially expelled from the Methodist church. Not just that church, the whole denomination. 14 years later, this couple, William and Catherine Booth, started the Salvation Army. They walked into a church for the purpose of worshiping God, for the purpose of praying and hearing God's word taught in the church, and they were told, you are not welcome here, and neither are your friends. Now, I believe that God uses all things for good, and I believe that God used this particular incident to start the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army has done very good things throughout history. They've come to the United States. We ring the bell for the Salvation Army every year. At Christmas time, we raise money, and they help to take care of the poor and the needy in our community. But, 
this is not the way that church is supposed to be. And we might not see that blatant kind of thing. We might not see churches that have partitions where people have to sit behind them so that we can't see them. But favoritism continues to thrive in our churches. Some of our churches tend to be very concerned about pleasing certain members of the church, especially certain members who bring something to the church. And we're not talking about bringing the Holy Spirit. We're talking about bringing the holy dollar. We're talking about bringing power. We're talking about bringing influence. And these people at some of these churches are treated very, very well. So well, in fact, that if they have a complaint about something that's happening in the church, their complaint is heard and dealt with immediately because we don't want to upset those people. We want to make sure that they're happy. So we won't play certain songs during our worship. We won't sing certain ways. The worship team is called to cut those songs immediately from their playlist. If this member wants a certain member of their family to lead a ministry, well, absolutely, we're going to let that person lead the ministry. Never mind, are they qualified to do so? Never mind, are they doing it with a heart of service towards Jesus Christ? we got to keep this member happy. And I've seen this in churches. I saw this in my church growing up. There was a group of people that were very in. The pastor was always talking to them and hanging out with them and planning with them and doing all of these things with them. Didn't have time for a lot of other people in the congregation. That's favoritism. And that's what James is talking about here. And he says that that attitude makes us judges with evil thoughts. And we're judges with evil thoughts because we're not thinking about serving God. As leaders, they're not thinking about what is the best way to reach people for Jesus Christ. They're thinking, what's the best way to keep this person happy so their money keeps flowing in, or their power, or their influence keeps us being able to do things that we want to do. And James says this is not how churches are supposed to act. He continues in uh, verse 5, and he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? And we read in the Gospels, Jesus has a lot to say about rich people. Jesus says it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. That's hard. Jesus watched as a, an, an old widow woman came up and gave her offering at the, at the temple. And she put in two tiny little coins while all of these rich people were putting in all kinds of money. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, this woman has given more than any of these other people because she gave all that she had. She trusted God. She literally put in her last two pennies because she trusted that God was going to take care of her if not the temple. 
These are the things that Jesus taught. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, was around for a lot of that teaching. And he knows that God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in their faith. And he says they're heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. And when we play favorites, you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that there are rich people that serve Jesus Christ fully. And they use all of the resources that God has blessed them with in order to do that. But when we start playing favorites, when we start saying, man, it would be really nice if somebody with a lot of money would come to this church so that we can bring in more offerings, so we can do certain things. Those are evil thoughts. That is not the way that it ought to be. Because we are charged with not laying up for ourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt. We are charged with laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven. And when we play favorites, we are saying that this person's money is more important than his soul. And if the leader of that church is more worried about that person's money, then maybe he's not worried about his soul. James reminds us of the great commandment. Here in verse 8, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, the royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you follow that law, you are doing well. And this is the point that James is making. We're supposed to look at our neighbors, every single one of our neighbors, as if we are looking in a mirror. We are supposed to see ourselves in that person. But even more importantly, we are supposed to see the image of God in that person. God created us all in his image. He didn't create us all as his children. And the Bible is very clear on that. But he did create us in his image so that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, can look at people and not see a drunk not see a drug user, not see a gossip, not see whatever it is that we see on the outside. We're supposed to look at them as people who bear the image of God and who, if we do as we are supposed to, should be pointed to the cross of Jesus Christ every single time. They need to be pointed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're the ones that need to do the pointing. The Holy Spirit will save them. The Holy Spirit will work through them and help them to come to an understanding about God and who He is. But we're supposed to point the way. We're supposed to be the light shining in the darkness, showing the way to Jesus Christ. 
And we ought to see that it is not money or power or influence or worldly things that makes one person any better than anybody else. And James is very emphatic on that. In verse 9 he says, If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. If you show partiality, you are not loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you are not loving your neighbor as yourself, which is the second great commandment, then you are not loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, which is the first commandment. Those two go together. And Jesus always, always knit those two laws together. Always. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if church starts to show partiality, we're breaking that law. We're breaking that law. Jesus Christ said all of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. And if we're breaking that law, if we're breaking you shall love your neighbor as yourself, we're breaking it all. All of it. And James says no. James says do not do that. And unfortunately, it works both ways. Not only do we have pastors and deacons and leaders in our churches who are looking for the people of money and the people of power and the people of influence, but we as Christians have made church something that we shop for. We have made church something of a checklist of things that we need in order to feel comfortable going to that particular church. Well, if this church doesn't serve coffee, I'm not going because I need my coffee in the morning. And God doesn't want me to make my own coffee and bring it with me. He wants the church to provide it. Well, this church better have contemporary music because I must be moved. I must be moved to love God by the worship music that is being played. I've actually heard people walk out of this building saying that they're not going to stay because the music didn't move them. That's one of the things on the checklist. Oh, but make sure the music's not too loud. But make sure I can understand it so that so it needs to be loud enough, but not too loud. If it's too loud or if you have too many drums or if you have too many guitars or if you have too many vocalists, then I'm out of here. Here's another one. No hymns. Well, you can have hymns, but they got to be contemporized hymns. You can't just sing a hymn with an organ. You got to have Chris Tomlin rewrite the hymn and put in drums and guitars and all of that stuff. And then, then I'll sing Amazing Grace because then my chains are gone. Amazing Grace is not amazing until you just add some drums and some guitars to it. Here's a big one. The sermons have to help me grow as a person. The pastor shouldn't be talking about things like sin because that'll make me feel bad. Pastor shouldn't be talking about hell because that'll make me feel bad. 
The pastor should be preaching sermons that have to do with how I improve my, my lot in life. How do I make things better for myself? Because if things are better for myself, then I'm much more equipped to serve God. And these are things that I have heard from people, either at churches I've attended or churches that I've pastored. I had a call just last, uh, sorry, two weeks ago. I had a call come in to the church office. Dana sent me the message. I called the woman back. She said, we're looking for a church, but I have some questions. We're looking for a church. It's like, what is your church like? I said, my church likes bacon. What? What? Do you, what? <laughs> and they said, no, 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 no. What, what, what is your church service like? Do you sing insert type of music here? Do you serve coffee? Do you preach too much on hell or even worse, tithing? Please tell me you don't preach on tithing. And it's always interesting when they put tithing before hell, as if that is the worst of the two topics. I'd rather go to hell than tithe. And of course, I answered the questions, and I answered this person's questions, and, and I always end the conversation by first asking, have I answered all your questions? Are you satisfied with, with what you've heard? Not caring whether or not the answers are what they wanted to hear, but just... Or have I answered all your questions? And then I always tell them that I'm going to be praying for them. And I'm going to be praying that the Holy Spirit will lead them to a church that is going to help them in their walk with Jesus Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to ask God to, to let the Holy Spirit guide them to a place that has biblical preaching. I'm not going to pray to God for you to find the right rock band for your worship. I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do, though, is I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you to a place where you can use the talents and the resources that God has given you to build the kingdom, not to build your own kingdom. We have become this consumer Christian culture. And people are shopping around, well, I haven't found a church that I like yet. Who cares if you like it? Is God speaking to you in that church? And if he's not, is he not speaking to you because you've refused to listen? Because something hasn't been checked off on your checklist? Now, I am all for people finding a congregation of people to do life with a congregation that is going to build them up spiritually a congregation that is going to strengthen their relationship with God by strengthening each other but I really couldn't care less what kind of music you want to listen to I couldn't care less if they serve Pete's Coffee or Maxwell House I don't care can do away with coffee altogether for all I care. Don't anybody walk out right now. <laughs> walk out after. But this is what's supposed to happen. 
We're supposed to pray that the Holy Spirit sends us to a place where we can build relationships. First with God. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will send us to a place that's going to preach the gospel, that's going to preach the Bible, that's not going to be afraid to say that sin is sin. We need to pray that God is going to send us to a congregation that's going to build us up. These are the things that are important. Not that my needs are necessarily met. But how can God use me to meet the needs of others? That's what church is. It's not this building, it's the people. And it's not this people just sitting here on Sunday morning. It's the people that come here to become equipped to go out into the world and share the gospel with other people. That's what you should be looking for if you're looking for a church. And when we find that place, we are to love our church family as we love ourselves. We are to care for our church family as we, love, as we care for ourselves, care for their children, care for their teenagers, care for their old people, the way that we would want to be cared for ourselves. And nobody, nobody in this church or any other should be made to feel less than. Because they don't dress right. Or they don't live in the right place. Or they don't make enough money. Nobody should be made to feel that way in a church. Morning Hour Chapel strives to be the light of Christ in our community. That's our statement. That's what's on our website. That's what's on our bulletins every single week. Morning Hour Chapel strives to be the light of Christ in our community. We've got to let our light shine. We've got to stop worrying about all the little stuff. And we need to start praying and start looking and start noticing that people are lost. That people need Jesus Christ now more than ever. That is what our goal should be. That is what our plan should be. To do the work of Jesus Christ in East Berlin or Dillsburg or Wellsville or wherever you live, wherever you work. And I want to encourage you to shine that light. I want to encourage you to understand that every person that is created in the image of God is someone that God loves, someone that God wants. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants that person. That person that you look at and you can't stand to look at them. God wants them too. I encourage you to start looking at people as the image bearers of God. And to remember that God wants them as much as he wants you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this congregation of people.
God, I, I thank You. I thank You that the people that come through these doors every week on Sundays or every other week or whenever they're able to get here are family. I thank You that they are desirous of taking care of one another. And Father, I pray that You will fill us all with Your Holy Spirit so that we might see all of those people that you want to have come to repentance, that you want to have come to have a relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray that you would show those people to us. Let the scales fall from our eyes. Let us stop seeing what the world sees in them and let us start seeing what you see. And then give us the courage to stand up against trials, to stand up against people who want us to fit in. Give us the courage to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is the only way. That Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we can live eternally with you. Give us the courage to say that. And let us not worry about what anybody else has to say about it. Father, we thank you for your son, for his sacrifice. And we thank you that he rose again so that we might know eternal life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Before the praise team comes up, um, one thing that uh, Paul mentioned in his prayer was the uh, situation that's going on in the Middle East between Israel and Palestine. And there are a lot of churches this morning, um, well, at least churches of the, uh, with pastors that I know, that are preaching sermons on the end times um, because of what's going on in Israel and Palestine right now. I don't know if this is the start of the things that we read about in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Revelation. Because Jesus told us that no man knows the day or the hour. I do know that God has asked us to always pray peace. I know that God has asked us to take care of those who are suffering. And right now there are people who are suffering on both sides. I just heard this morning that Palestine is now officially out of water and they can't get anymore. And it takes about three or four days for somebody to die of dehydration. And Palestine has two million people in it. 46% of them are children. 46% of them didn't ask for any of this to happen. I want to encourage you. You can look, you can read, you can study, you can see if this is part of what Jesus told us was the last day. But what's important right now is that really every day since Jesus ascended to God after his resurrection is part of the last days. We've been living in the last days for over 2,000 years. I want to encourage you if you want to study those things, if you want to look into those things, that's great. But more than that, I want you to pray. Maybe like you've never prayed before. 
that that region could see its people taken care of. God has shown us in Scripture over and over again that He is going to take care of His people. And if it comes down to it, God is going to use armies to take care of His people. God is in charge, and we know the end of the story. What God wants to happen will happen. But one of the things that God expects from His church is that we care for those who are in distress. Like we talked about two weeks ago. Visit the widow and the orphan in their distress. Please pray for these people. Please pray for these children on both sides of this conflict. Pray that some sort of resolution can come so that at least they can have food and water in the coming days. If you're able to help financially, find a place that you know is taking care of humanitarian aid halfway around the world and support them. But mostly I want us to pray. I want to take a few moments right now just to pray for that whole situation. Pray with me. Father, we come before you again and we thank you again for today. Father, it's been 2,000 years since your son returned to you. And he told us that we don't know the day or the hour of the last day, the day that you are going to send him in glory to judge the earth. Father, we wait for that day. But in the meantime, you have instructed us to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. And Father, right now there are hundreds of thousands of widows and orphans in the Middle East that are caught in this struggle, that are caught in this conflict. Their only so-called sin being that they come from a certain country or a certain region. Father, we know they didn't ask for any of this. We ask that you would provide water for those people who don't have it. Food for those people who don't have it. Father, we ask that you protect the widow and the orphan. And even in your protection, let the Holy Spirit work through them. Let them know who you are. Let them know that Jesus Christ died for them. And that all that they need to do is to accept His sacrifice. To call Him Savior and Lord. And you will welcome them into your kingdom. Father, give us the strength to pray. Give us the strength to give if we're able. 
Fill us with your Holy Spirit, individually and as this congregation, and show us what you want us to do. And Father, we just thank you for the hope that you give us, knowing that you are in control of all things, that everything will happen the way that you want it to happen. Thank you for that hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God is faithful forever. God's plan will play out just as he wants it to play out. Our job, our responsibility is to see in people the person that God wants to save. I encourage you, open your eyes. Let the scales fall off and see people for who God sees them for. God bless you.